next-door neighbor who's unleveled of everybody else, and they spend 10 years loving this woman. So we don't gauge effectiveness by size. We gauge it by obedience and by our life of following Jesus. And I think that's really important because I don't know about you, but I've had moments when people start talking about calling and purpose and vision, if you've been in the church, and this is going to be this, this may be new to you, but I've been in churches where they say you can God has a purpose for your life, and then they tell stories of people like Billy Graham, right? And I'm going to talk about Mother Teresa this morning, right? I tell stories about Mother Teresa, I'm like, ah, right? Seriously? But but the reality for our own lives is that each of them are unique. Each of them have a specific calling, and God is leading us into that. And as we follow him into that, and we're obedient in that, then we are living the extraordinary life. And more than likely, we're going to bring healing wherever we go, and hopefully wherever we go, salvation is going to come. These pieces will come, right? Because that's a fruit of the presence of Jesus being in someone's life, right? But you see what I'm getting at, right? The extraordinary is not defined by us. We don't sit down, you know, we don't sit down and begin to tell God what it's going to be. No, we, it just causes us to, to sit before him and relate to him and listen to him and, and follow him. And so the ultimate the journey that I've invited you into in this extraordinary life is really a, a journey of humility, sitting at the feet of a, of a lover who knows you inside and out, and who says, if any of you are lacking wisdom, according to James, just ask and it shall be given to you. It's beautiful, this relationship that he's called us to. And so that's what, that's what the journey we're on. It's the extraordinary life of, of knowing Jesus and knowing his thoughts and following him into the things that he has for us, our extraordinary. And uh, so with that, what we're talking about and we're going to kind of launch on this morning is we're talking about living your ordinary life, your real life. Not ordinary. You're, you're a real life. The call this morning is to, the, to a real life, an extraordinary real life. And I want to give you just this thought this morning about real life that we're going to kind of, we're going to land on, launch from, lean on for the next, really for the next year and beyond as we talk about the real life. And here's the definition, real life. Real life is about being who God created you to be. It's up here on this screen. If you can't see through me, I apologize, so I'll go like this. But it's about being who God created you, created us to be and doing what God calls us to do. So we look at the words real quick. Just kind of lean into that, okay? Real life, the extraordinary real life. I just kind of described it. Real life, your real life, is about being who God created you to be and doing what God created you to do. Now, let's leave that up there for a while, because the, 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 the fact is this. Each of us understand, I think, this inherently. Because if I were to ask you, hey, tell me about yourself, or, or who are you, your answers are always going to be in the, compact, in the context of being or doing, right? Whenever you answer the question, it's always in the context of being. Being is, is who you are. So when we talk about who you, who you are, right, you're a spouse, right, you're a, you're a parent, you're a you're a the son or daughter of someone. You are uh, you are a businessman. You're an employee. You're a boss. You are you're a gardener. You're a guitar player. Whatever it may be, whatever kind of describes you, kind of in this static, descriptive way. There's something about your being. It's simply simply who you are. 
And so for me, right, I am a, I'm the, I'm a, I am a, a, a husband to Randall. I am a son to Terry Hambrick. I am a, a, a father to two beautiful girls, right? I'm an avid fisherman and I'm an amazing ping pong player. Those define me, right? Like I'm an amazing ping pong player. You get to know that, right, Timothy? Yes, I will beat all of you. Todd, where are you? I'll beat you. Boom, right. So anyway, but there's this whole dynamic going down. This is, these are the things that kind of describe me. This is, this is my being. This is my life. This is kind of who I am, right? These are the descriptors of my life. And so each of us in our own, in our own story, we have our, our own being, our own life, our own things that, that define us. If someone says, who are you? You talk about your being, the things that you are, or you describe the things that you do. And so the fact, the thing that I want you to recognize is that being who you are always leads to your doing. So, so in my life, right? I, I, I said I am who I am, and I'm, I, I'm a, I, I'm a father. And so in my life, I would say this, this doing the actions of my life. I would say, well, I, I, as a husband, I love my wife. It's my doing, right? I actively parent my children every day. I, I lead vintage. I'm an avid fisherman, so I, I fish as often as I can throughout the year, and I play ping pong and dominate twice a year, right? This is kind of how my life functions. That's my doing. And so we have this being that leads to doing. Who you are leads to what you do. And so in the context of your life, that's kind of how God works. He, he sees you, he sees your being, and then he calls you in the context of your being who you are to the things you do, to your doing. And so, so you say, I'm a stay-at-home mom. Well, then your primary goal, the primary thing you do, that's, that's your being, then what do you do? Well, I parent and love my children every day. This is primary beautiful call in your life. Our being is who we are, and our doing is birthed from that. And so when we look then at, at, at God and God's call upon our life and his investment, what I want you to recognize, he is invested into and interested in developing both parts of you in this area, in this arena of being and doing. He is interested in and he's invested in growing both of these parts of you, this being and your doing, who you are, I hope you recognize that who you are is not who you will always be, but hopefully you are growing and you're maturing and you're doing. Well, there's always this doing that God calls us to. So if you look at it, biblically speaking, he calls us disciple makers. That's our being. He says, now, therefore, go make disciples of all nations. It's your doing. And so we have this context of our lives. So moving forward, again, real life, your extraordinary real life, it is about being who God created us to be and doing what he calls, calls you to do. So being and doing then will define our lives. These are the things that he's invested into in this growing us into our extraordinary real life. And this morning I want to take it some time and just focus on the being part of who we are. So, when we're thinking about a person's being, we should automatically be, begin thinking about the most important or basic part of a person's mind or self. Kind of what makes them up, right? And the ways, like we said, that would define them. And it's true in the static sense that there are many things that define us. And I mean static versus dynamic, right? Static are things that are stationary, things that are just kind of not moving. It's just kind of factual about who we are. But there's also these dynamic parts of our being, these dynamic parts 
of our being, right? I would say that they represent the intangible parts of a person that are deeper than what you can just see. So, for example, if there were someone, like if someone were to sit here like I'm going to do and describe one of the greatest saints who has been alive during my lifetime, Mother Teresa, in a static sense, right, in her being, they would describe her as, as an Albanian uh, a, a nun who worked and lived among the poor in Calcutta, India, and she won the Nobel Peace Prize, right? That kind of is this static, descriptive part of who she is. This is her being. And, it's, and all those statements are true, right? She, she, she was from Albania. She was a Catholic nun. She lived in India. She specifically gave most of her time in Calcutta, India. She opened up all, all lots of homes for the dying all over India. And she won the Nobel Peace Prize, and everyone knew who she was. But if you were to sit down with the people that, that knew her well... That's probably not the same descriptors that they would use to describe her. I had a buddy of ours named Chris Hewitts. Chris, a long time ago during college, took a, a month off of, I think it was the summer, and he went to Calcutta, India. And he went to the Mother, Mother Teresa Home for the Dying there in Calcutta. And he talked about, he said, my primary goal when I got there was to meet her. So he said, I walked, said, I walked in and, and someone met me and said, hi, how are you? And, um, he, and she, he just said, you know, I told her who I was. I'm, I'm actually, would it be a problem if I met you know, Mother Teresa? And they said, oh, no. Uh, she's busy right now, and she's in the middle of prayer. And just so you know, she's always the last one out. Okay, fantastic. And so you just sit right here, and she'll come and find you. He said, and so she, for like 20 minutes, he waited. And all of a sudden, he said, she just began, she, she said, small woman just begins to shuffle out. He said, and she sat down in front of me, and she began to ask me question after question after question after question after question for 30 minutes, and just totally involved in my life, involved in my story. She, all she wanted to do, she, he said, I sat there feeling exposed before her, like I was telling her everything I'd ever done wrong in my life, right? And everything that I wanted to be, and I'm just sitting there, and tears are coming from my eyes, and I'm, and I'm just overwhelmed by her, and never once did she, did she put this air out of being someone better than me. And the point was, in that moment, he said, I he said, I think he's verbatim, I just felt naked before her. You see, in this moment, he was, when he described her, he didn't sit here and talk about her being an Albanian, Albanian Catholic nun living in Calcutta. He talked about these intangibles, right? These pieces about her of her compassion, her inquisitiveness, her, 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 audit, her love that she expressed just by being with me, right? He talked about her humility. And her kindness that really colored every part of her being. And so what we find in, in, in these things are, are these beautiful pieces about her that were not measurable, but they were the words that were most commonly used to describe her being. They were most commonly used to describe her life. Why? Because these were the most important characteristics 
about her being, about her life, right? These defined her in everything about his other static descriptors. They did not define her. It was true about her. But these other pieces of compassion and humility and love and gentleness, all of these words, these, those were the, the descriptors that they, people would always use to describe her being, to describe her life. And it's beautiful to see these things that have been that have been created and designed by God, that God, this work that God had done inside of her. And so our conviction is that God is moving in each of us to shape and to grow our being to be more than just a static description that you use to define yourself at dinner at dinner gatherings. But that people would begin to talk about you in the context of these intangibles and these unmeasurables that God ultimately would want to have define your being. These are the most important characteristics. Larry Crabb, in a book called Inside Out, one of his uh, bestsellers, he, he said it this way, and I thought it was great when I was reading this week. He says, some people push me to do better by trying harder. Bosses and coaches and all that type of stuff. There's nothing wrong with that, right? Some people push me to do better by trying harder. Others draw me to be better by enticing me with an indefinable quality about their lives that seems to grow out of an unusual relationship with Christ. I'm going to read that again. Just leave it up there. Some people push me to do better by trying harder. Others draw me to be better by enticing me, drawing me in with this indefinable quality about their lives that seems to grow out of an unusual relationship with Christ. Now, I want you to look at that phrase, and I want you to recognize, when we talk about this extraordinary journey in this, this being who God has created you to be, that's what I'm talking about. I mean, think about Mother Teresa. I mean, literally... Let's leave that quote up there for a while, Hayden. I want you to think about Mother Teresa. I mean, literally, thousands of people every year flock to Calcutta to go work at her home for the dying. And I mean home for the dying. I mean it smells bad. I mean, we've been to several in India during our lifetime since 99. I've gone probably, I don't know, 10, 15 times to these homes for the dying. It smells bad. It is the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. I'll never forget the first time I went into one. I walked in. I I basically threw up in my mouth and had to run back out and had to pray, Grace, God, I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't do this. I need you. I need you. I need you. I know you would be here, but I, oh, God, it's so hard. And I prayed, says, Jesus, give me grace. True story, right? And thousands every year will flock to Calcutta to these mother trees of homes for the dying. Why? There's nothing great about it. No one ever knows that you go. You spend all day long hanging out with the tuberculosis patients who are literally coughing up blood, and you're simply wiping it off their face, and you're cleaning them up and preparing them for a good death. And when they die, someone else comes in, covers their body up, and takes them out to the pile of other bodies that are out back. Where the, I don't want to go into other details. It's terrible. But, but it's just all this stuff, right? So I'm telling you so what my point is. There's, I know that's overwhelming, like, oh, Steve, stop, 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 it's so gross, I can't handle it, I'm so visual. Good. 
Because I want you to recognize there's nothing about that that should ever draw anyone to come to it. So what drew people? I would, I believe the indefinable qualities of a woman who nothing about her should have ever drawn attention to her. She was not that attractive. She was not that visible, all the things that she did. But her life had these indefinable qualities about it that people just wanted to come and to be with her and figure out why she understood something that seemingly they didn't understand and how she could find joy and peace and fulfillment in a house of death. Why do you think people flocked to Jesus? There was nothing great about him, guys. He was an average, ordinary carpenter whose father had died. He was ultra busy, ultra responsible. There was nothing about his life, right? And sinners, the worst of all sinners, the most oppressed, the, the, those, listen, those who, who had leprosy and those who were considered not people, They were considered not people. They were not humans. They were less than. People were drawn to Jesus. They wanted to be with Jesus. It wasn't just because of the miracles that he did. Listen, miracles will bring people in for a moment, but the indefinable qualities will have them stay. And so Jesus, expressing these indefinable qualities, like a Mother Teresa, cause people to be drawn and wooed to him. And they would sit before him and tell him everything. And he would basically look at us and say, I already know. <laughs> and he would express these indefinable qualities of compassion, of love, and of mercy. And of grace. He would put them before himself. He would think about them. The disciples came and said, Jesus, there's lots of people here. We should send them away because it's late. He says, No, let's feed them. There are thousands of people, and we only got like, we got two fish, Jesus. I'm a great fisherman, Peter's saying, but I only got two fish. And I got a couple of loaves of bread. And Jesus says, Fantastic. Have them stay. These indefinable qualities that cause people to follow, to want to be with him, to draw near to him. These indefinable qualities are the being that God wants to grow inside of us. Larry Crabb in his book, he says, he says, there are lots of people who push me to do better. There are only a few people in my life who actually entice me with these indefinable qualities, and I want to be one of them. I want to be like that. So when I say to you, real life is about being who God created you to be, I'm not talking about these static components of yourself. I'm speaking about these dynamic parts that people say, I don't know. This is when you got it. You know, you, know you got it going on. Someone says, I don't know what it is about you, but I'm just drawn to hanging out with you. Right. In your business, the people who work for you, employers, do your people who work for you, do they just want to be around you because of these indefinable qualities about your life? Your children, do, they, do your indefinable qualities just cause you cause them to want to be near you? your neighbors? Do they just find themselves 
just plopping down on your porch or looking for you when you come out the door to be with you because there's these indefinable qualities about you that just seemingly draw them in. Does your employer, you employees, does he just want to be around you? Because there's something about you he can't quite put his finger on. Part of it annoys him, but the other part just draws him to you because of your indefinable qualities of your being, of who God's called you to be, that just draw them in. This morning, right, my question, one of my questions is, is this, and there's something, and, and both of these are fine, but, but did you have any, any New Year's resolutions that focused on being? Like doing, and like, and doing is great. Like someone says, I've committed to spend more time with my wife and go on dates with her every month. Hey, that's a great doing resolution. I encourage you. It's 100%. But do you have any being, right? I, 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 I this, this year, God, I, I resolve to love this person, but who's seemingly unlovable. God, I, this year, I, I, I have a resolution to grow in my compassion. Because, God, I, it's, I'm struggling with it. Right? Did you, do you have these type of resolutions? Because this is what God wants to do. He wants to grow in us this part of our being, these indefinable qualities, these intangible parts that, that really ultimately should define who we are outside of our static descriptions. So this morning I want to just name not three things that you can do, but three things to consider, three things you're praying into, three things you go after, three things you, you ask God to help you do this, this, this uh, 2014 years. You move forward into the extraordinary life. This, these are three kind of, kind of overarching but practical things I want you to consider, pray into, and ask God to lead you. And number one, I want you to, to define a goal, 2014. Define a goal. Like I have a, have a defined goal. So what do I mean by that? Well, think about this. The idea of being who God created you to be inherently means God has a destination in mind of who he wants you to be, right? There's a destination. There's a goal. Jesus has a goal in mind of where he is, is leading you, right? A place of this goal of an extraordinary life. And so, so, so the idea is that we pray, we simply pray and say, God, there's a goal that you have in mind for me. Probably an ultimate goal, an ultimate destination. It's, a, it's the destination that we move towards. We said before, we only move towards those things that we're focusing on usually, right? So if a person is like focused on their bitterness, then they're going to be bitter people. People are struck, they're focused on their worry and anxiety. That's going to define their life and the direction, all the conversations that they have, right? So we're saying, God, define a goal for me, an ultimate destination, a place that you are leading me, and I want it to be something that you create, you develop inside of me. It's not something you sit down over a coffee and a strudel and figure it out and write it on a sheet of paper, right? No, it means you literally, you pray, you seek God, you spend time in the Word, you say, God, who What's the goal for my life? What's the ultimate destination? Let me tell you why that's important. Several years ago, I said, yeah, several years ago is a lot now. I was in college. I had a dream. I've shared a dream with you before, right? I had a dream. And in my dream, I, uh, I, 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 I'm having a dream inside of a dream. Remember like it was yesterday. And in my dream inside of the dream, it's dark. It's cold. I'm reaching my hands out trying to figure out where I'm going. And I'm like, God, what's going on? This is so weird. What's going on, God? What's going on? And all of a sudden, I, I, I woke up, surprisingly. I, like, not woke up in real life, I woke up inside of my dream, and I'm like, oh. And all of a sudden, I see the light from the corner of my eyes, right? And like, you know how when you wake up from a deep sleep, it's like you're kind of like, kind of trying to get, that, trying to get your eyes open. And kind of all of a sudden, my eyes begin to open. All of a sudden, I realize, oh, 
I was, it wasn't dark. I wasn't living in darkness. I was asleep, having a dream about living in darkness. I was in a slumber. And all of a sudden, I'm like, God. There's, and, I'm, and I'm like, light. And I, the light's behind me. I turn around. And I turn around. And guess what I see? I see the shaft of light coming through this hole. And I'm like in a cave. And I'm like, oh. So I immediately kind of crawl up. I have to crawl up to get to. And I crawl up. And I poke my head out. And it's like light so bright that I can't even handle it because I've been asleep in my slumber. And I'm like, oh. And so I crawl all the way out. As I crawl out, it's like that perfect crisp, this blue sky. The wind's blowing perfectly, like five to ten miles per hour. It's warm, so the wind's good, right? And I look, and I look in the horizon, and I see this flag. And this flag's unfurled. It's at it's full mass, and it's just clapping in the wind, right? And I kind of make my way over, and I see this massive white castle that represents a kingdom. I'm like, oh, the kingdom. I see the kingdom, right? And I'm like, oh, God, that's where I'm supposed to be. That's, that's mine. That's designed for me, God. That's, that's, my, that's where I'm supposed to get to. That's the destination. That's the goal, right? And I, and I see it, and I'm just focused on it. All of a sudden, I scan down, and between me and the kingdom is this valley, and it's full of trees. And over the years, I've, as I've prayed into that dream, I recognize that, that that valley represents my life. And trees, what do they do? Trees get in the way sometimes. It's hard to see where you're going. Trees have to go around, right? That, that sometimes it can be difficult. I recognize God saying you have to walk through the valley and move through this to get to the kingdom. This is your destination, but this is the journey. This is the path, right? And you're gonna, you can't see things sometimes. You're gonna be blind, but I've shown, listen, I've shown you the destination so that you don't fall asleep again and that you know the risk of falling asleep because when you fall into a slumber, then you have no no direction. You have no idea what's going on. You're like wondering, where is God? And why am I here? But you're actually in a slumber. And I want you to always remember the dream. Always remember it so that you can always stay awake, fight against slumbering, and remember the destination. No lie. At least four or five times a week. This is a true story. True story about myself. Five, at least four to five times a week. I say, God, Am I slumbering? And every time, the only thing I can see is the kingdom. It's the destination. It drives me. Listen, you think I'm supposed to say this because I'm a pastor. I'm supposed to say it because I'm a Christian. It doesn't matter where you live. It doesn't matter what you're doing. Do you see the kingdom while you're at work? Do you see the kingdom while you're parenting your children? Do you see the kingdom when you're on vacation? Do you see the destination? Has God given you an awakening of the kingdom that lies in front of you? Listen, you have your own story. That's my story. You're more than welcome to it if God awakens you to it. But we have to define the goal or have a defined goal. Our eyes have to be able to see the prize, the destination, the goal of the kingdom that ultimately we're living for every day. The second thing, we have to highlight growth areas, right? So I've defined a goal, I see it out here, and I recognize, oh, I'm right here, the goal and destination is right here, the only expectation God has of me, everyone watch the hand, this is important, everyone watch my hand, okay, Chase? Make sure you see me over here in the corner, right? So here's the hand, so you're here, here's destination, here's what I expect of you. Did you see that? Here we go, we'll do it again, ready? Magic trick, right? Right here, from here. 
So there. Do you see that? It wasn't much, was it? The only expectation of Jesus is the next step in the journey. We don't, he doesn't expect us to be like this right now. He says the next step, the place of perfection, is obedience into the next step. That's what he calls us to do. And so what I'm saying in the moment, right? So I define the goal. It's out here. I'm right here. So now I highlight growth. There's God. What's this? You see the hand? Chase, did you see it? There you go, buddy. Right? See the hand? It's this. The next step. That's what we, that's all he expects. And so God in 2014, Lord, what are the growth areas? What are the things you're putting your finger on, God? What is the being, the intangible that you're trying to grow me into so that I won't be, so I won't be missing it anymore? So that I can have these indefinable qualities that literally draw people to the Jesus in me. Highlight growth areas. Last week we read 1 Peter 1.16. Peter says, be holy because I am holy. Be holy because I am holy. Do you know that holiness is something that we grow into, not just something we attain immediately? That's why it's called the process of sanctification. We're in a process of being sanctified. What does it mean? We're in a process of being made holy. What does that mean, Steve? It means I'm on a journey to become like Jesus. Right? It's something we attain immediately, but Peter's saying we go after it. We're growing. We're going after holiness. Holiness always involves growth. And so what is God putting his finger on 2014? Where do you stink at something? Right? You have some very definable qualities that people don't like about you. Right? They're keeping Jesus from being expressed through you. Hey, that's great. Let's define those. There are growth theories. God, what are you putting your finger on that I can pray into, be held accountable to, and work on, and pray into, and seek your help, and be obedient when you call me to be obedient? What are the growth theories? So I define a goal, God, what are the growth theories? What are the things you're putting your finger on? Do you have those? What are you praying into and for your being? Peter goes on in chapter 2, starting in verse 1, says, Therefore, he says, Be holy because I am holy. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. So I'll read that again. Therefore, read yourselves all this bad stuff. Verse 2. Like newborn babies, I want you to crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up. Everybody say grow up. Grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. In these verses, Paul is making an interesting assertion. I'm going to kind of paraphrase. I'm going to put this in my own words real quick, okay? Kind of language of how I would have said it if I'd been Peter. Something like this. Just listen to what I'm about to say. Listen. Now that you have tasted of the Lord, you realize how great the taste is and that nothing else can satisfy. Therefore, work at ridding yourself of all these bad things and grow up into your salvation. So three things I want to name. You can put this on the screen and we can put them in. This is epiphany I had. It's real simple. Taste Jesus, get rid of your broken areas, and grow up. Man, it's not that hard. Here's the equation, everybody. Taste Jesus. Because when you're with him, when you're around him, you change his qualities, pour over into you, right? So get rid of broken areas, get rid of your sin, define those things, get rid of them, and then grow up into your salvation. Grow up into these things God has for you. Grow up into the extraordinary life that God has for you in Christ. Taste Jesus. 
That's imperative. You're never going to change into something unless you've grabbed hold of it, right? You're never going to transition transition into Jesus unless there's this knowledge of him, this depth with him, this love of him, whatever it may be. So taste of Jesus, get rid of your broken areas, and grow up. So name these things in your life. I mean, sit down sometime with the Lord and name them, right? If you struggle with anger, then ask God to awaken compassion. It's a growth area. If you, by nature, just... You have this hatred or this bitterness that just easily crops up in your life. Whatever reason, they need to pray for love, godly love to be expressed, right? If you have fear, worry, anxiety, then you're praying, God, just awaken me to faith. There's always growth areas that God wants to, to grow us into in our being, who we are. Not just these static parts, but specifically these dynamic parts. Indefinable qualities. And the third thing is this, never give up. Never give up. 1 Corinthians 9, 24 to 25. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run. You run. Understood you here. You run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last. But hey, we do it to get a crown that will last forever. The beautiful piece about a prize, we all understood it. Paul must have been some form of athlete, at least understood the language, right? He says, listen, runners run with a destination and a prize in mind. There's a goal out here, right? And so when they run, there are lots of things along the way. Like, I never forget back when I used to run, like, in third grade. Like, in third grade, like, I would run, and, and I would have those moments in the, in the, I forget how long the race was. I think I ran the mile the first time in third grade. I never forget. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I just want to stop. I just want to give up. I don't want to run anymore. This is too hard, right, whatever it may be. But i got to keep on pushing because my pride's telling me I have to win, right? And so I'm running, right? I was like, oh, if I'm going to throw up, oh, this is so hard in my head, like, you Lighthead, okay? I'm seeing King Elephants, whatever. It's like, I mean, oh, i got to run the race set before me with the prize set before me, right? And Paul's saying, never give up. When you're going after the goal, the destination, the end, you have to run and never give up. You can't fall into a slumber. You can't fall into a slumber. We define a goal, we highlight growth theories, we never give up. So the question for you as we end, who is God calling you to be? Some of us, right, we came this morning and we had no expectation of anything other than some songs and some guy up on stage talking to him, right? But the question is, who is God calling you to be? I mean, literally, like he looks at your life and says, hey, I have an understanding. I, have a, I see my, my potential, my potential for you that defines you. And so this is what I see in you. And, and this is the journey we're going on together into this Christ likeness, right? Into this, into we're going to realize this potential. So, so who is God calling you to be? What does that look like? And are you committed to going after his goal for you? Are you committed to going after his goal for you? Not in your own strength, but as we, we run the race set before us, with whom? With Jesus, with us. He's with us. He's empowering us. His grace, his goodness, his power, his ability is with us along the way. And so again, who is God calling you to be? What's the destination? What, is he, what picture has he given you? And are you committed to going after his goal for you? 
Obviously, we're doing classes this semester, and part of the reason that we're doing classes is just to awaken us to who we are, to awaken us to our being, to awaken us to the reality of who God is in us, so we can have this, this even theological foundation to stand on in our movement forward. Some of us in inner healing, there are literally like chains that are holding us that need to be broken because like I've been struggling with this my entire life. I just can't get over it. Anytime I go after Jesus, it's like, it's like a, like a scratch record. It goes, and it goes back, right? Or I hit a wall, bounce back down, whatever it may be. And so we're committed with these classes to say, God, we need your help to go after these things. And so again, who is God calling you to be? And are you committed to going after his goal for you? Real life is about being who God created us to be and doing what God has called us to do. That's the extraordinary real life. That's the journey that we're on. Let's pray. Father, this morning we, we say, Jesus, we want to be exactly who you have called us to be and nothing else. We want to be defined, Jesus, by these indefinable qualities. We just confess, Lord, in our own strength, we're incapable. And, Father, we need your help. Father, we need to know the goal and the destination. We want to know the things that you see and the places that you're taking us, God. We want to... We want you to highlight growth areas, God, the things you put your finger on in this season. And, God, we thank you for the grace you've given us, God, to never give up, to never fall into a slumber. So, Father, this morning we ask just for a a beautiful gift of conviction, just an awakening to these things, and that, God, we would grab hold of you and say yes to this journey that you have us on. Father, we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. This morning in response, uh, for those of you who are able to stay, we're going to actually have a time of taking up our offering here in a form of worship and invite you as the Lord leads to bring your offering here. If you're first time guest at Vintage, just leave your Connect card that you filled out on your chair. We'll pick it up later, so don't worry about that. Uh, we're going to have ministry teams. If you're new to Vintage, we have ministry teams that are available up here up front. Right, They're making their way up here now. And if there's things that you're saying you're struggling with, things you want prayer for, no matter what it is in your life, they're going to be available to, to come alongside of you as family and just love on you. They're going to pray for you. So I take communion this morning. Communion is just right here on this, my right side, your left. It's opportunities to remember all that God has done for us, all that Jesus did on, on the cross for us, that's empowered us to be able to live this extraordinary life in him. But this morning, I would encourage you most of all just to take some time, whether you have to leave or whether you have the opportunity to stay, to, I want you to take time. I want you to pray into God. Am I, am I going after you? God, just have an, an introspective look. What traits are defining me in this season? What, into, what qualities are defining me? Who are the people who are broken and lost, God, who are just drawn to me? What is my being? What does my being express? And just be honest with the Lord about that. Because there are things that he wants to put his finger on. They may, they may highlight growth there. And I want to encourage all of you. Ask God for a destination, whether it's a scripture or whether it's uh, a song or something that God uses to speak to you. It doesn't really matter. He speaks through anything, right? Speak through a donkey. He can speak through anything, right? So let him just speak to you whatever way he wants to. Setting the destination and goal that you can then, no matter what's going on in your life, you can look at and go after. And then say, God, what are the things right now in this season that you're working on? What are you growing in me? What What being things are you 
does, you're, are you working on? And then the whole time you're saying, oh, God, help me. Just ask for your help to never give up. That, talk to the Lord this morning. Have, a, have some time with him. You, we're going to be staying in worship. Harvest may will release us in a while. But if you need to go, listen, you're more than welcome to do that. I know we go late sometimes at Vintage. But, but, I want to re- but if you need to go, you can. But I want to encourage you to, whatever you're doing today, to spend time processing these things, asking yourself these questions, and allowing God to do this work inside of you. All right. We love you guys. Have a great week.